Indeed. Friends, if you would remain standing and take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. If you do not have your copy of God's Word with you, there is a blue Bible in the seat back in front of you, and you can turn to page 856. We're looking at Luke 1, verses 39 to 59. 39 to 56. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been beginning, we have begun a study in the book of Luke. In the past couple weeks, we have uh, introduced a couple of different interactions uh, that, that are leading up to today. A couple of weeks ago, the, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him of the coming of the baby John the Baptist. And last week, the angel appeared to Mary and told her of a miraculous baby that would be coming today. Uh, today we will be looking at Mary's response and how she, how she uh, responds in joy to this news that she's received as she visits with her relative Elizabeth. So now please turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and pay attention to God's holy and infallible word. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Friends, this is God's Word, and what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, our God, this is Your Word, and so we ask that You would speak to us. Oh, Father, throughout Scripture, You make clear that Your power is made perfect in weakness, and so would You make Your name great even through the words of this weak and sinful preacher? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. In his day, the man Henry Ford, despite his documented faults, was known to be a very generous man with his money, even bestowing unexpected kindness to to strangers. At one particular event, when he was driving to a business meeting in town, he noticed a a group of boys, and one of the boys had uh, a limp due to a birth defect, Uh, and Mr. Ford asked his assistant to to run and find out who this boy was and then find his parents and tell his parents that Mr. Ford was going to pay for a surgery 
to correct the boy's limp. On another occasion, there was a young woman who waited on Mr. Ford and his wife, and she had uh, a condition from when she was a little girl that caused her to be cross-eyed. And Mr. Ford uh, took pity on her, and he sent his assistant to, to find out who this girl was and to tell her that uh, Mr. Ford was going to pay to have this, this, this condition reversed so she would be able to see clearly and not, no longer have this issue. She, she, like the boy, had not, her family had not had the, the, the money to correct this condition, and, and uh, Henry Ford, uh, out of the kindness of his heart, was willing to uh, correct this issue with, his, with the money that he had available. Now, we, we hear stories like this of a, a seemingly chance encounter resulting in some wealthy uh, benefactor, anonymous benefactor, bestowing some kind of blessing upon someone. And, and we, we enjoy those stories, but uh, a lot of times they're just stories. I mean, we, we never think that anything like that's going to happen to us. I mean, we'd like it to happen to us, but uh, we just don't think it would because we're, we're just ordinary people living ordinary lives without anything extraordinary happening to us. And even if it did happen, we're so conditioned to believe that it never would that we would really doubt that it actually would. And, and that's actually what happened in those two cases with uh, Mr. Ford. When uh, the assistant found the, the parents of the boy, he, he said, are you Jimmy's mother? And she said, yeah. What? Is he in trouble? What's, what's he done now? And, uh, and with, the, with the, the waitress, she, she was concerned that she had somehow... Uh, made a mistake and she had, she, had, she had angered Mr. Ford and his wife and she feared for her job and that's why this assistant was showing up. And it was only after hours of pleading and explaining that no, everything is fine, that you have a, a, a wealthy friend who is willing to pay for this surgery. Only after that, that long confirmation were they able to get assurance that this, that this promise of medical care uh, was actually theirs. And friends, I think that's a little bit, in a, in a very small way, like what we have in our passage today. If you remember from last week, uh, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, and he told her such incredible news that it's impossible for us to exaggerate. That, that she would conceive miraculously, and, and that this baby would become the Savior of the world. And while Mary didn't doubt she, she didn't doubt of this, this promise. She wondered with this childlike wonder. And even in the midst of that, God in His grace pursued her with this inexplicable grace to confirm the promise that He had made to her. Uh, and and it just incredible grace to confirm the promise and, and, and to, we see the mercy of God in invalidating that which he said to us. Now, if you remember uh, the past couple weeks, um, Pastor Stone has given us these two pictures from, from Luke. We have the picture of Zechariah, and we have the picture of Mary. Zechariah, the, the uh, elderly priest who uh, receives word that his wife, who is also older in age, advanced in age, will bear a son. And she has been considered barren. And, and, and Zechariah doubts this promise. She doubt, he doubts, he says, how, how could this possibly be? And he asks for a sign. And the Lord gives him a sign. He gives him the sign of discipline. As he says, you will be unable to speak until this baby is born. 
And then last week, we saw Mary. Mary, who is this young virgin girl, this teenage girl from Nazareth, the middle of nowhere. And the angel appears to her, and she doesn't, she doesn't doubt. She wonders. She says, how, how will this be? How will this, how will this happen? Since I, I'm not married, I have no husband. And the, the, the angel explains to her uh, the, this, how it will happen, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, and she marvels, she wonders, and she submits to that. And so we, we see those two things side by side. And Mary doesn't ask for a sign, and yet the angel suggests a sign on his own. He, he says, behold, uh, your relative Elizabeth is with child. Uh, she's conceived, and she's in the sixth month, and she was called barren. Uh, almost as if to say, you need to go see her. He never says it explicitly, but Mary sees this, this, these words from, uh, from the angel as an implicit command to go see her. And when we pick up our, verse, uh, our passage in verse 39, that's exactly what we see, is Mary is rushing off to see Elizabeth, to see this sign that the angel's given her. And when, and when Mary arrives, there's this, uh, she does in fact receive confirmation of the promise, but it's not merely in the fact that Elizabeth is pregnant, but in this remarkable series of events. She, she arrives and, and Elizabeth is pregnant now six months along. And as she walks in, uh, there's, there's a response from that baby that is within Elizabeth's body. It, uh, Elizabeth says, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, Ladies, you who have had the privilege of bearing a, a child in your womb, this may have a special understanding for you. I, I only had the privilege and the blessing of being able to observe my wife from the outside looking in, and there is a special delight in seeing your wife respond when the baby sh shows those signs of life, shows that, that kick or that punch, uh, sometimes making them uncomfortable, sometimes startling them, usually when they're trying to lay down and go to sleep. And if you, and Elizabeth has now been six months along, and she's, that's well beyond the age when those babies, she would have started to feel the baby. And yet there's something in this interaction that makes her think that the baby is leaping for joy. What did, what did that feel like? Was he, was he furiously kicking his, his legs? Was he pushing himself up in her womb and, and, and her whole body was rising? Whatever it was, she exclaims, knowing that this baby has reacted to the sound of Mary. And what we see is, is it's, it's whatever it was that she felt, it's, it's a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in, in the person of John the Baptist. If you remember from the, back when we talked about Zechariah, the angel told Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so John now, sensing the presence of the one whose way he was to come to prepare, he reacts in a prophetic sense, even in his mother's womb, reacting with joy. But all that would be lost on us were it not for the Holy Spirit working even through his mother Elizabeth. And Elizabeth also takes up this prophetic work in interpreting both what her baby is doing and what is going on. Notice what is going on here in verse 42 and following. It says in, at the end of verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit 
And she exclaimed with a loud cry. And notice what she says. There's, I count at least five various things that she notes. She says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So here are the things we, we ought to see. First, she knows that Mary is pregnant. Now notice, this is probably days after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. She knows that Mary is pregnant. She knows that this child that Mary is pregnant with is Elizabeth's Lord. She says, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Thirdly, she knows that Mary is the mother of the Lord, and as a result, both Mary is blessed and the child is blessed. Then she's able to detect that what she felt within her own womb was her baby reacting with joy at the presence of this baby in the presence of Mary and Jesus. And finally, in verse 45, she says that Mary is blessed because she knows that Mary believed the promise that was spoken to her. So she, she interprets these things, she proclaims these things, she confirms the reality of what the angel had spoken to her by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because how else could she possibly have known these things? Luke, in his detailed and orderly account, does not give us any record of the fact that Mary posted to her Facebook wall that she had this incredible event. There was no uh, selfie with the angel posted to her Snapchat story. And there was no tweet that says, hashtag overcome with the Holy Spirit. No, she, the, Elizabeth is aware of things that go even beyond the power of the internet age. She knows the thoughts and intentions of the baby within her womb, the thoughts and intentions of Mary, and she knows that this baby is her Lord. This is power that can only, and understanding that can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is wonderful grace in confirming His promise. Remember, Elizabeth and her child was to be the sign to Mary. But Mary gets so much more than that, and so do we. Not only is she pregnant she, with, and with, with that child, but she has a, a sign and an explanation through proclamation, Mary is, or Elizabeth is proclaiming these things to be true. And so Mary understands that. And so even in the midst of Mary's faith, even in, in believing what the angels said from the Lord, there's a tenderness in our God in sustaining us in the midst of our faith. Now, friends, we've been given some pretty amazing things to believe as well, haven't we? And the Lord has given us signs to believe he's he's directed our eyes isaiah said behold this will be a sign to you the virgin will conceive and will bear a son and he will call call him emmanuel which means god with us jesus said uh, just as moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever looks upon him would not perish but have eternal life The angels beckon us to look inside an empty tomb and say, He's not here. He has risen, just as He said. 
And even now, the Lord gives us signs and seals, sacraments, signs and seals for us to see of His ongoing covenantal love for us. And yet, He doesn't leave us to wonder what these things mean. He doesn't leave us to interpret these things for ourselves. But He gives us the ordinary proclamation of the Word to explain what these signs really mean for us. He, he, we don't have to ask, what will this be? The Lord tells us what this will be as we expound the Word that He has given us. And it comes through the proclamation of the Word and through the fellowship of the saints. And I'll put it to you this way. How many times have you read through God's Word and seen His promises and perhaps you believed it, but you're thinking, how could this be? How could this possibly be? And then you come to worship and just some ordinary words through an ordinary preacher preaching the gospel says something along those same lines. Or you're, you're talking with a brother and sister in the Lord and they, they mention something that resonates with what you've been wrestling through. Or your child asks you a question. It's some simple childlike question. And it triggers in your mind this confirmation of, oh, yes, now I see that this promise that I believed is really true. There's a confirmation of that. And it is God approaching us in, a, in His grace. That same Holy Spirit that dwelt within John the Baptist and within Elizabeth is within His church. It's within you and me, my friends. And the Lord uses it not to usher up new promises, but to confirm the promises that He has already declared to us in His Word. And so... When we speak gospel truth to one another, when we encourage one another with the gospel truth, the Lord uses that, friends. He uses you to confirm the promises that He's made to each one of us. Well, having received these wonderful promises from the Lord and having received confirmation of it, what, what ought to be our response to that? Well, obviously, I think our response ought to be praise, which is exactly what Mary does with this song that is in our text. Uh, this, this, this song that she sings out, which is often called the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin phrase, uh, uh, my soul magnifies. She is magnifying the Lord. She is praising the Lord. She rejoices that she, the one who is called the favored one by the angel Gabriel, now has a confirmation of this. Um, but let's look at, it's important for us to look at why exactly she's rejoicing or what she's rejoicing about. Let's, let's look at our, our text. In verse 48, she says, well, 47, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. But why? Verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He, he has looked on the humble estate of my servant. Secondly, uh, in, in verse 49 to 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In verse 51 to 53, he is, there's been a reversal of fortunes. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. And then finally, she praises him for his covenantal love. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to Abraham and his offspring forever. So there's these various things. She begins, though, with focusing on her humble estate. 
And if you remember, Mary is this young teenage girl, perhaps ages 12 to 14. She's a virgin girl from Nazareth in the middle of nowhere. A poor, ordinary, plain girl. So she's humble in her estate, but she's also humble in spirit. If you remember when the angel gave her these things and she said, how will this be? She, she submitted to that. In verse 38, if you want to look at it, she said, I, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And from her song, it's clear that she fears the Lord. She is, she is in humble submission to the Lord. So she is both humble in a state and humble in spirit. And it's remarkable that this is the girl that the angel Gabriel says, you will bear the Son of God. It is not this royal princess in the trappings of wealth and position and influence but is a humble young girl in poverty and suffering. That is where our God decides to enter the world. And she praises our God because He has looked on her humble estate. He has chosen the most humblest, the, the most ordinary means for this most monumental event. And because of this monumental event, she knows that she will be exalted for all time, for all generations. And as a result, her heart leaps to follow John's leaping. And friends, our God's done wondrous deeds for us. He has done wondrous deeds for you. He, our, our God left the riches of heaven to be born in the humblest of state. Uh, state. He He lived a life of poverty and suffering following the road to the cross and He willingly laid down His life on the cross and was willingly buried and continued under death for a time and was raised to new life. And now, when we put our faith in Him, He exalts us into the heavenly realms to be with Him, to love Him and enjoy Him forever even as He loves and enjoys and rejoices over us Forever and ever. That's incredible news. But friends, is that just a story? Is it just a story to you? Is it just another story of an anonymous, wealthy benefactor doing something great for someone? And you don't really believe it for yourself. Uh, I, think, I think it's easy for us to sometimes believe the truth claims of the Gospel in the abstract, uh, but struggle to really personalize that they really truly apply to us. I mean, think about it. The sovereign God, the sovereign transcendent God of the universe, the One who created all things and sovereignly controls all things according to His good providence, has taken a focus on you, And me? I mean, is that even a thing? I mean, how is that that possible? Are we even on His radar? How how could I possibly be on His radar? He's got better things to do, right? Like maintaining peace in the world so there's not another world war or preserving His truth 
throughout generation to generation or, or protecting His church from the attacks of the evil one? How could He possibly be focused on me? Or on you? Or even salvation. I mean, the salvation story, it makes sense in the abstract. I, it's easy for us to accept the fact that He came, He died, He rose to new life for someone. Or even for His church. That makes sense. The church seems like this, I don't know, this abstract concept to us. Or for His people. But is it personal to you? And let me put it to you in this terms. Can you... How easy is it for you to grasp the fact that before the foundation of the world, the sovereign God of the universe took notice of you before He had created you and chose you out of His sheer good pleasure to show mercy to you? That when Christ, the Son of God, was in the glory of heaven, He took notice of your humble estate and decided to leave all that behind for you. That as He walked clothed in humanity, undergoing the suffering of this life, He was faithful to the cross, bearing in mind that He wanted to save your soul. It seems too good to be true. How could that possibly be the case? It's, and for us who, are, who so quickly and so easily forget the promises that have been given to us, the ones who, even having received it and saying that we believe it, that our devotion and our praise is like a faint whisper rather than this resounding chorus of praise. And we struggle with that. And then the Lord in His grace shows us Mary. Mary, this ordinary, teenaged girl from the middle of nowhere, and she says, the Lord has looked on my humble estate, on the humble estate of His servant. He, and, he, and, and she reminds us that the Lord loves the ordinary. The Lord delights in the plain, in the weak, in the foolish of the world. We just, Friends, we just read it in our Gospel passage, did we not? From 1 Corinthians 1, not many of us were wise or powerful of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak, the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. His power is made perfect in our weakness. He, he is a God who delights in humbling the exalted and exalting the humbled. He is a God who delights in taking the chief of sinners and making him his chosen mouthpiece of his gospel of grace. Friends, that is your God. That is the God that pursues after you with his love, who turns his gaze to you and looks on your humble estate. He's the God that loves you by name. Can that not make your heart leap for joy? Can you not say, oh, magnify the Lord with me? That is your God, beloved. That is your God. And what's remarkable, friends, is that Mary sees all this. She, her heart rejoices in the fact that the Lord has chosen her. And he, she sees in that a confirmation of the Lord's covenant promises. 
She, it's, it's like she's been, from the point that the angel showed up, and she said, and she, she was troubled greatly at the greeting that the angel gave her. It was like this, uh, this murder mystery, this, uh, this thriller where she's trying to rack her brain. You're trying to rack her brain, trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. And all of a sudden, when she receives confirmation that she is the vessel through which Christ will come, there's this aha, this unlock of all of these Old Testament promises that come to her, her mind. And what she sings out here in verses 51 and following is this covenantal language of these promises that the Lord has given throughout all ages to His people. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. These are promises that He has given of all time to exalt lowly Israel to a place of prominence. And now... She's, she sings that out in this song. So what, what exactly is she talking about? She, she's talking about this in the past tense. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. Well, commentators look at that past tense in a few different ways. Some of them look at, back to what the Lord did in Old Testament times and say well, she's just singing generally of what God has done for His people throughout all time. And others uh, see it as more just describing generally what God does for His people uh, at all times. But she is singing this song in response to the fact that she now knows that Christ is coming through her in the midst of her humility. So I think that commentators are right when they see this as what's called a prophetic past. Uh, That is when something is so sure... by something that happened in the past that she can declare it, uh, this future event, as having happened. Uh, for instance, your star quarterback goes down and you say, we just lost the season. But this is so much more profound than that, beloved. She realizes that because Christ is coming through her, through the humblest of means, it is evidence that the Lord is now fulfilling His promises to turn everything upside down. That He will humble the exalted and exalt the humbled because He has begun exalting the humbled through her. In other words, she knows that the salvation that has been promised from the beginning of time has now come. And that's why she concludes with this covenantal language in verses 54 and 55. He helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. He had, God had declared these promises to Abraham and all those who followed afterwards. And God remembered His mercy. And it has now come in the person of Jesus Christ, the baby who is now in her very womb. Beloved, those covenantal promises, those promises given to His people from the dawn of time are yours and they're mine in Jesus Christ. And they have come. They are realized now in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Mary, we see the tender love of our God not just fixing His gaze on her, but fixing His gaze on us, His people, in the humblest of estates, humble, ordinary 
plain servants of the Almighty God. And because of the salvation that we have, only because of the tender mercy of, Je- of, of our God, He has looked upon our humble estate. And from now on, all generations will call us blessed. Only because of His mercy, which is upon those who fear Him from generation to generation. And so, beloved, may we magnify the Lord with all of our being. And may we rejoice in God our Savior. For He who is mighty has done great things for us. And holy is His name. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Your promises sometimes seem so good to be true. And yet You repeat them so often to us that we should accept them as Mary did. Let it be to us as it would be to Your servant. And yet, Father, You know our frame. You know how easily we, we struggle to accept these things because we know that we're just ordinary. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing in us that deserves Your love or Your mercy. But Lord, You, you reveal Yourself to be a God who loves the ordinary, who loves the humble, who loves those who need our help. <clears throat> and so would you help us to humble ourselves before you, to receive the gifts, the promises that you have bestowed on us in Jesus Christ, that we might magnify your name with all of our being. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.